Welcome back to the internet. Live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah, this is the Redline Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Dunstan, and these are my co-hosts... Alex Fielder and... Kyle Holland. This week, we're talking about Microtransit, one of Silicon Valley's latest solutions to urban mobility. All this after the news. It's a big week for rail expansion in the Anglophone world as Crossrail, now branded as the Elizabeth Line, opened on May 24th. Transit nerds, industry professionals, and many others from around the world are making the pilgrimage to ride the world's newest rapid transit line, which is set to revolutionize TFL's rail network. Less consequentially, the Tempe streetcar opened in Tempe, Arizona on the 20th. The line is noted as being somewhat faster than other similar streetcars and is somewhat unique among its peers in that it has a relatively long section with dedicated right-of-way. If you want to ride the streetcar, it will be free for the first year of its operation. This has been the news. Okay, so before we start, I do have a bit of an editor's note as the person who wrote this episode. So at this point, I've done like 40-ish hours of research for this podcast, and I don't think I've ever encountered a subject with like this much obfuscation on the part of the industry parties. Like nearly every article on the first three to four-ish pages of Google was written, promoted, or funded by microtransit startups. And I have a sneaking suspicion that the Wikipedia article was also written by these people, given that many of the links lead to heavily pro-microtransit sources. So if you plan to do your own research on the topic, I'd advise that you be very careful because even articles published by the likes of Mass Transit and Strong Towns were literally written by people with enormous conflicts of interest related to the microtransit industry. So just be aware. So what is microtransit? Well, according to the Federal Transit Administration, microtransit is, quote, IT-enabled private multi-passenger transportation services such as bridge, bridge, chariot, split, and... Via. Via. Or via. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> that serve passengers using dynamically generated routes and may expect passengers to make their way to and from common pickup or drop-off points. Uh, Close quote. Tell me that is not the most tech bro crap you've ever heard in your well, life. That's one of the most annoying sentences I've ever read. Yeah, that was very clearly written by a consultant of some sort who's really into microtransit yeah, like gets, in 2015 <laughs> when it was first becoming a thing. But anyway, microtransit generally takes the form of a state-subsidized Uber pool, basically, where the app is used to obtain, like, where all the people are, and then algorithm builds a route that connects everybody and takes them where they need to go, and it's just... That's (laughs) pretty cool. A lot of the time, the services end up transporting a single person or a group of people from point to point, as demand for such services is rarely concentrated in the same way demand for standard transit services is? Yeah, one of the issues with a lot of these um, microtransit services that were like in the initial phase of quote innovation unquote was that they were trying very hard to like build fixed routes and it just didn't work very well because you know 
know, when you have a transit service, almost always it operates regularly along the exact same route. Just so all the people who live along that route understand their route is always going to be the same. And this sort of just wonkified that and made it not work. So you managed to get neither the benefits of an actual fixed transit service that's predictable and reliable, nor the benefits of something like Uber, which just gives up on all of this <laughs> pooling stuff with the exception of Uber Pool. And the main line of business is just transporting individuals or small groups from point to point. That is correct. It sounds very ineffective. Well, we're going to learn about that because if we talked about that now, we'd be spoiling it. But, spoiler, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Connor, continue. Uh, so, often microtransit services are bounded to a certain area, uh, and when ran by a transit agency, they are normally intended to feed higher capacity transit options in places where there is insufficient local service. For example, South Valley of Salt Lake County, where there is exactly one bus route and two light rail lines and jack squat else in an area the size of Salt Lake City. <laughs> so theoretically, microtransit is a magical last several miles, probably <laughs> up to about five, connection to feed people into these high-speed, high-capacity rail lines. Mm -hmm. Theoretically. Um, and it should be noted that microtransit services use a variety of vehicles, from minivans, like Via likes to do, uh, and large SUVs, to more traditional minibuses, or in some cases, like my hometown of Nampa, Idaho, they literally just run the regular buses in on-demand now. <laughs> so, <laughs> because they've just given up. <laughs> so where did this all come from? Mm. The idea for microtransit services is actually rooted in the dollar vans and jitneys, which are like, you know, little fixed route services run by private operators that can be found in developing cities and nations all over the world, or in New York during subway strikes. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I'm not kidding, the last time there was a subway strike, like, this whole network of dollar vans emerged because it lasted for like 60-some days, so all these people had to take the dollar van instead of the subway because there was no subway, and you cannot drive around New York. <laughs> I can't even imagine New York with a subway not running. Well, it was difficult for the people there to imagine because <laughs> like you know post pandemic they're still getting like three and a half million riders a day so it's a big deal yeah so that's where it came from you're probably familiar with the most famous example of jitneys or dollar vans uh and they're from manila where the jeepneys which are converted <laughs> converted u.s army jeeps uh, have become kind of a staple of both local transportation, although increasingly less because they're building a lot of urban rail in Manila right now. But, you know, still a staple of public transportation, and it's also a big part of Manila's image on, like, the global stage. Like, if you look up a picture of Manila, you're probably just going to see a jeepney at some point. Cool. Yeah. That, I just like the name jeepney. I know. It's fun, right? So, in the developed world, the idea for microtransit recently began in Helsinki, where a network of publicly owned shuttle buses called Kutsu Plus uh, have, quote, pioneered, unquote, the idea. Although Kutsu Plus is closer to a traditional, like, route-deviated service or a flex bus, if you're from here, than true microtransit, it is the origin point for much of Western microtransit ideas. Uh, and one of the big companies in America that's pushing microtransit, Bridge, with a J at the end instead of a GE, because, <laughs> you know startups, um, <laughs> they actually own and develop the software for that. Hmm. All right. So 
as we mentioned, microtransit is a startup thing because, of course, it is. It's a tech bro thing. Um, startups. So there are four like large ones in America. There's Via, Bridge. There was Chariot. They're gone now. And Split. Um, and they operate a variety of service from one similar to the Kutsuplus, which was like Chariot, uh, to user-generated bus routes, which is kind of like Split and Bridge, to basically what are taxi services, which is Via mostly. They aim to provide what dollar buses and jitneys provide in the third world. Flexible, affordable service that fills the gap between public transit and taxis. Are those uh, specific like brands They're of companies. service? The, yeah, the companies. Are they operating in Salt Lake? So the one that operates here is operated is paid for by UTA and operated by VIA. But in other places, it's paid for by, insert, three to five letter acronym transit agency and um, operated by Bridge. And then Chariot is kind of unique in that it tried to actually like just go off on its own in San Francisco and have its like own service. Yeah. But that didn't end well. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about no. it. <laughs> so it, it sounds like these aren't names you're expected to know. You're expected I, to know, like, the transit services branding. So here we have UT On Demand. In L.A., they have Metro Micro. I don't know any other cause, names. Because I'd never heard of any of these companies before you've said it, but I do know UT On Demand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Their business model has evolved from trying to like replace public transportation with with microtransit to just trying to grift off of public transit agencies to stay alive. Okay. <laughs> uh, so what what are the pros of this? So or at least the claim these, advantages. These are, yeah, these the advantages are, that show up on the first page take of Google. All of this with a grain of salt Several. and ignore everything here because I pulled these arguments directly from VIA, their website, and from several other like pro-microtransit sources that are, you know, written with a conflict of interest. They will be in the description. So, first claim, equity. Proponents of microtransit argue that it can help solve transportation issues in areas unserved by, quote, traditional, unquote, transit networks. These include helping people who can't drive, but also live in areas that aren't dense enough to warrant regular transit service. That's a reasonable idea. In order to sustain a bus route or even a deviated bus route. You need 12 people per square acre. Uh, argument number two, accessibility. Microtransit advocates argue that the door-to-door -door nature of microtransit, in theory, makes it more accessible to riders with mobility impairments of any sort. I think this is similar reasoning to paratransit services, which are required by the government to be run by every transit agency and cost a lot of money to run. But they provide a critical service to people who aren't able to make it from the bus stop to their final destination. Right, and sort of the thing with paratransit services is that they're generally legally required to operate only within a half mile of any sort of transit route that exists. So there is an argument to be made that this is actually a good idea for people with disabilities because it extends service beyond areas that are reached by the legally like required paratransit service. That sounds good yeah, to me. That sounds nice. Yeah. Yep. So maybe this is actually a good idea of this. Continuing, uh, speed. The argument is that because it does not necessarily have a fixed schedule or route, microtransit services could reduce travel times for transit riders. Also, they argue that wait times could be reduced by on-demand service because a lot of places that this is being applied, there are like either no transit service 
or just like hourly buses. Because again, this microtransit is designed to serve very undense areas. Well, that's where it's being put into practice. <laughs> All these arguments seem kind of incomplete, but let's keep going. Let's, yeah. let's see. Uh, number four. Convenience. They argue that it's more convenient because you don't have to walk anywhere and you can work with your own schedule. Well, I like walking, so next one. <laughs> Based. Um, well, let's, let's delve into this a little bit. Basically, they're saying because we have the automobility paradigm in America, uh, people are going to be unwilling. This is an argument that's been made by car advocates for decades, by the way. Um, that people are going to be unwilling to, like, get out of their car and have to walk anywhere for transit service. So, like, turns we got we to gotta put it directly on their door. They're never going to use it. Of course. Well, it turns out people are willing to walk, and the magic distance is about half a mile, give yeah. or take. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, number... Was this six or four? This I is five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong both times. Uh, so first and last mile connections. This sort of goes along with the last one. They believe that microtransit can help to improve first and last mile connections, especially in areas with underdeveloped cycling and walking infrastructure. Well, I feel like in s I would prefer to just have them improve <laughs> the, <laughs> no. the walking and have, cycling infrastructure. We must have Gadgetbon solution. <laughs> why, why wouldn't we just make sidewalks or bike lanes and just see if that works first? Great question. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's, Num a it's a nice theory, and I think first and last mile is probably not be the best way to phrase it. Maybe like first and last one to five miles. See, for longer connections, it seems more reasonable. Yeah, but also like that drives up the cost significantly. Moving people farther. <laughs> Especially with like, you know, service like this. But any whom, point number six, they theorize that it will have lower costs in traditional service. And to be honest, they pulled that one out of their ass. Like there, there yep. is no proof provided anywhere at all that that's just the claim that they make. And that brings us to the final point in quote favor, unquote, of microtransit, which is a point that I like to call COVID safety nonsense because transit agencies have this idea that the reason people aren't returning from the pandemic is that they're still scared of COVID. It's not. It's because frequency and service sucks and they'd rather drive for a good reason. Yeah. Um, but they have this idea that everyone isn't returning to transit just because they're still scared of COVID. So they think that if you, like, you know, put a smaller vehicle with less air filtration, but you only have to ride in with two other people instead of, like, I don't know, 10, even though the square space per occupant is, like, still less, um, then people will be less scared to get back on public transit. So this one's kind of a load of BS, because full-size transit vehicles, especially trains, have insane air replacement rates. Right, like my train of Frontrunner, um, I was told by management this, that we can theoretically have new air in the train every, like, three minutes. So and, I mean, to be fair... On a lot of buses, this is an issue. There's not good airflow and circulation. Is, you can open the windows on a bus, though. That does help. <laughs> you can't really open the windows on a yeah, train. And I mean, I know some people who are still very concerned about COVID who are literally carrying around, like, carbon atmospheric concentrators to determine if it's safe for them to go in an area. And no offense to those people that may be taking it a little bit far, but their points about um, air circulation on buses are valid, and mm -hmm. that is kind of an equity issue, actually, because 
Our train systems have, by and large, been designed to serve wealthy suburbanites, and those are still their primary clientele, whereas our bus networks have been, by and large, designed to serve poors. Like, for example, me. So, <laughs> so while the rich people are getting good air circulation, lower-income individuals are not getting, like, safe air circulation. Mm-hmm. If and that makes sense. Yeah. And part of it's a technical issue. Like, when you're on a full-size train with pretty much unlimited weight and power constraints, you can kind of do whatever you want. Buses have some weight and power constraints. You can still do better, though. Yeah. There's no reason we can't just do better. Is that something that could just be modified on buses? Or yes. would that require a new fleet? I'm sure you could modify it somehow, but we're going to have to get a new fleet soon anyway, so... <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. you just start you start the process. It doesn't have to be all at once. Okay. Yep. So, okay. But anyway, that's really a tangent, but keep that in here. Uh, yeah, I've never heard that before, so that's actually very interesting. Yeah. Um, so. Why is microtransit a bad idea in the real world? So, obviously, from that statement that Kyle just made, we don't believe that these arguments make much sense. Uh, but before we trash them, let's talk about how it's actually performed when put into practice. So, in the private sector of the four companies that we discussed earlier, only three still exist, and they all exist off of grifting off of public transportation agencies. Chariot, the single one which tried to do operations by itself, went out of business because their business model sucks. Because they're trying to... They're doing private bus routes, but you have to reserve a seat. Oh. And... What? Yeah. The Chariot's business model was weird. We'll talk about Chariot's business model in the Patreon section, so... Subscribe to our Patreon because we will actually be putting out content consistently now. Hooray! Wow. Um, we're worse than, like, ContraPoints, not really. <laughs> uh, okay, and then in the public sector, I think that the Kansas City Metropolitan Transit Authorities... Wow, that is a mouthful. Guys, you really got to work on that. Um, Their pilot. Yeah, their pilot was a dismal failure, and I mean just, like, absurdly dismal. So over the trial period, which I could not find how long it was, but I'm guessing it was six months to a year, because that's how long these pilot things tend to last, only 1,480 people rode the service at a public subsidy of nearly $1,000 per ride. Whew! Uh, you per, heard that correctly. Per ride. Per, per ride. Okay, I get... $1,000. I get that this is a first-time pilot, and they'd have to buy, like, so new vehicles. That's meaning seriously. That's meaning that Kakmuta spent $1.48 million on this pilot and got 1,500 riders out of it. So, maybe not a good idea. <laughs> Other microtransit trials have been similarly unsuccessful in terms of ridership, though certainly not in, like, the amount of money wasted. Um, They are rarely netting above five rides per hour. And for reference, the transit industry considers a bus route that only gets 10 to 15 rides per hour to be significantly underperforming. So, like, a badly performing bus route gets, like, five to ten rides per hour. And that's a bus route that's about to be axed. Probably, because this is America. And instead of improving service so that it will be well-ridden, anyway. um, Funny. (laughs) We just gut it. So the basically, like, the theoretical maximum amount of rides you can provide per hour is five. Because just how long it takes the drivers to do their routes and stuff, like, because of the nature of the service, you, like, cannot, like, provide more than five rides per hour. Just, 
Well, you can, have, you can have more vehicles. Okay, but per vehicle. Oh, right, right, per to. vehicle. Like, we're not worried about how many theoretical rides you can provide per hour. Like, Uber can do as many rides per hour as it likes. Same money as vehicles. But it can't like. do that many rides per vehicle because you have to do point to point nonsense. Gotcha, gotcha. So that is not a lot of rides per vehicle and per hour. Yeah. Although these are smaller vehicles, so that lowers your fuel and maintenance costs. You still have to pay your operator. Uh, you see, Does almost it? uniformly, microtransit costs nearly twice as much per rider as standard bus service. Well, because you get less riders, significantly. Well, yeah, because you can't get as many riders, and you because you still can. have to pay the operator cost, and the operator cost is always the largest portion of... Especially because this isn't Uber, and you actually have to, like, actually yeah, you pay your operator. you have to ethically pay the operator. And you <laughs> have to maintain your own fleet out of your own pocket, unlike Uber. So <clears throat> UTA and Uber are going to partner soon, then. Uh, I'm kidding. Actual <laughs> subsidized Uber? No, let's not. Let's Uber not. is a terrible company. And we're going to have an episode about the downfall of rideshare pretty soon, because that's starting to happen. Hey. Because, I haven't heard about this. Yeah. Um, I'll get my popcorn. Basically, surprise, taxi service costs a certain amount, and Uber and Lyft have been providing rides at cost for their entire existence. And, and also massively underpaying their drivers. And so not only are their investment sources starting to dry up because they've never made any money, despite being like, you know, enormous gigachad multinational corporations, um, they're starting to have regulations, oh, yeah, and that those. is causing them to not be able to just, like, not pay their drivers anymore. That's funny. Interesting. Yeah. So think of, like, Uber and Lyft and such as a case study in what would happen if you did microtransit everywhere. so hard everywhere as best as you physically could and also violated a whole bunch of ethical rules <laughs> and a bunch of regulations that apply to actual transit services in the process, but and it still starts falling apart. This is America. So if Uber and Lyft can barely pull off the microtransit model mm. for now and break a bunch of rules so in the process, do you think a public transit agency running at a much smaller scale and having to actually follow the rules would be able to pull it off? So the answer to that question is, of course, no. And so well, now let's go through these arguments that we talked about earlier uh, to politely uh, debunk them, realistically dunk on those all right, so for starters, like, half of these are going to fall apart because of abysmal vehicle counts and just capacity of the system. So, right. first of all, equity, um, providing service to people underserved by traditional transit networks. Good idea, but we're spending money to give them service that is worse in quality and less reliable than a normal bus service, which is sort of just perpetuating inequities and, and pretending like we fix them. Yeah, because this equity argument would apply to, say, actual subsidized Uber, where you have like a fleet, a big enough fleet of vehicles at any given time that you can reliably get one within such and such amount of time. Yeah. But in a real system run by a transit agency with, you know, budget constraints and ethics, there just isn't enough vehicle, like, fluidity going around. I, I like the idea, but it... I don't know. Yeah, no, the equity It's aspect, a nice idea. It's a nice idea. Yeah, the equity idea falls apart due to lack of actual functioning service. Well, and the second thing about the equity thing is um, this is very similar. There's this charity that just gives cars to uh, low-income people because it's sort of assumed that you need, like, point-to-point -point service to have equitable access to transportation. Because America car. Because America car. So this is also very much like a car-brained thing. Yeah, 
and I, a car-brained way of trying to provide equity, and also like a very tech bro solution to equity in that we are going to innovate our way out of the problem. Yeah, <laughs> I, w- I would think that areas that aren't are underserved by traditional transportation for whatever reason would be a lot better served with, say, uh, walking and biking infrastructure and in, com- in combination with actual <laughs> functioning bus routes. Like, giving these people who aren't able to drive, say, they don't have a U.S. driver's license, they can't afford a car, etc., etc., a bike and safe places to ride it wherever they want. You're that given is much better for their Im- mobility than any yeah. microtransit. You're immediately giving them the point-to-point ease and convenience and a range of several miles, and also uh, the ability to do that independently. Yes. And for much, much, much cheaper yeah. than any microtransit service could ever theoretically be. That's a much, much better idea. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, this is this is something with the Kansas City thing. They spent $1.4 million providing microtransit to an underserved area. You could have run probably a half hour, maybe even 15 minute bus route through that for the entire trial period instead. And I bet you would have gotten more rides. (laughs) You would have certainly gotten more rides. It is an absolute certainty. It just feels like a thing we shouldn't even be entertaining. As the equity argument is nonsense. Yeah, no, nonsense. Lack of actual service. Okay, accessibility. Um, They do have a point here. This is a good argument. Because a lot of paratransit services are limited in their range from, say, a bus stop or a train stop. I'm just going to say that I think it would probably be better to get rid of those paratransit boundaries instead of doing microtransit. Yeah, and just continue providing whatever subsidies it takes to run that essential service. Because, yeah, that's an yeah, essential you, service. You have to do that. Yeah, no, that's it's, just it's that's not, a decent it's, thing to do. It wouldn't even be f- remotely fair. It would be illegal, it would be inequitable, and it would be just a bad thing, immoral. So like. instead of burning <laughs> money on a dead-end microtransit service, just do paratransit better. Yeah, just just do it better. The people with disabilities deserve to have the same access to mobility as everyone else. So, yeah. thanks, ADA. Uh, Continuing. Speed. You're funny. Uh, this one, again, assumes that you actually have a massive amount of vehicles going around. Once you start not having that, wait times get pretty obscene. Okay, and then let's also think, besides the wait times, because, like, in UTA's service, it's not completely non-standard to have to wait 25 to 30 minutes for a microtransit vehicle. If you can even get one. They won't always give you one. They sometimes run out. Right, and that's a whole other issue. Um, Happened last time I tried to use it. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. Um, the, the, like, point-to-point speed is nullified by the fact that you are going to divert way out of your way to pick someone else up before going to your destination, and they're going to have to go to your destination before going to their destination. Yeah. Again, if you had a massive amount of vehicles and riders, you could solve your way, you could brute force your way out of this problem. But the brute forcing your way out of the problem would be so obscenely expensive that it would not be a good idea. Yeah, or, so... Or just as you said earlier, give people a bike. Literally. Wow. Interesting <laughs> This thought. would um, solve the speed problem and the wait time problem entirely. All right. Uh, convenience. Irrelevant if there's no actual decent service. Yeah. Irrelevant if you have to wait a half hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, but speed, <laughs> convenience, and equity much better served by, like, a bus that comes at predictable times, even if they're infrequent. <sighs> And goes on like a halfway reasonable route. Yeah. It's just sad. It seems like a solution until you start thinking about it. 
Well, or if you try and write it. And that's a thing with a lot of these like magic tech solutions that Silicon Valley types love to propose for transportation. Like, for example, the car hole. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, a car the, hole. The, the sky bus thing that we talked about in Gadget Bonds from China. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. autonomous shuttle nonsense that everyone's into right oh, now. Like, the all these things here. sound like such a good idea. And then you think about it for three seconds and you're like, Wait. Could you run a microtransit service with all of these listed benefits? Yes, you would be burning an obscene amount of money. Oh, so much Like, money. utterly obscene. And also, like, you're just going to contribute to road congestion even more. <laughs> like, we haven't even mentioned that this episode, but all these microtransit companies love to claim that they can reduce congestion by 25 to 30 percent, no. according to a study that we paid for. Um... <laughs> I mean, what, are they going to have, like, two average occupants per vehicle instead of 1.67? You see, the thing is, like, the average occupants per vehicle is not going to improve, like, the average occupants being transported per vehicle. Because there's going to be a driver, but you're still going to get maybe, like, one and a half actual people being moved. Because this is how this works. Like, people don't magically, like, try and take the same point-to-point car trip. Uh, funny story, when I was doing research for another episode, I stumbled across some country somewhere that had a, an HOV 3-plus rule in their central Good. city. Three or more three people plus? per car. Yeah, I've never heard of uh, that. Ours used to be like that, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. But anyways, what, what happened <laughs> is that people would hire people to sit in their car with them so they could meet that HOV 3-plus thing because people just don't take point-to-point trips in those average quantities. Yeah, especially from a dis- in a dispersed city. Yeah. Dispersed being the technical term for sprawl. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you can go ahead and collect a bunch of different trips heading in the same general direction from within, say, a half-mile radius or even a quarter-mile radius, you're golden. What an idea. I know. (laughs) Okay. First and last mile connections... Spend the money on a sidewalk, please. That please. is going to be so much more beneficial. Than yeah, no, first or last mile, or preferably first or last half mile. Just walk. Walk, bike, roll, or paratransit if you need it. Yeah. Like, that's not going to disappear. Mm. Or take a scooter. Just oh, please yeah, or be a careful. Scooter. Please be careful. They're yeah. not dangerous. Oh, people. Okay. 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 People this is going to be a whole argument in our <laughs> micro mobility episode. Okay. But, like, I think those are good. No, see, I, I think, think they're good. I just. People ride them pretty silly a lot of the time. I think they would be good. I think that would be good if we had. Oh, that's fair. Okay. Never mind. We figured it out. This is drunk driving, like downtown. Oh, people okay. use those things when they're drunk. Oh, boy. Um, hey, better than driving. See, yeah, it is better than driving. It would be good. To get people helmets, though. Yeah, they yeah. would be good if um, we had the infrastructure for them and people followed the rules. But anyway, anyway. Okay, lower costs, patently but not true. That is just that false, is a lie. Objectively. Um, and COVID safety nonsense. We already went over that. That's also nonsense. So, microtransit is a bad idea Just because it has, and I mean, even if all those issues remained, I would say that there's maybe still a case that could be made for it in like very rarefied cases, except the darn reliability issue because it takes a half hour to get it pretty much everywhere. It, it just seems like it's not supposed to be in this country. America is not designed for this. Like, and the Kutsu Plus in Helsinki, like, this is not what we would consider microtransit service in America. It is a fixed bus route with deviations. It is a flex bus, except good. We have those here. Theirs is probably just better. Yeah, theirs is a (laughs) tech-enabled flex bus instead of a, you have to pay extra for the flex bus. And also call it into ours in advance. Right. So it's 
it's Flexbus is done right. Hey. So yeah. maybe that's the application of this technology is route deviation buses. But like microtransit, stupid and dumb. And the thing that pisses me off the most about this is that transit agencies are using it as a cop out to avoid fighting to improve service. Like UTA is doing like on the west side, which is a disadvantaged area of Salt Lake City, if you're not familiar. They, instead of, like, you know, improving bus service and making it so there's actually good bus service, Which they, they just put it in an on-demand route in the South Valley. Instead of, like, actually putting in a bus route, they just put it in an on-demand route. In, and they're going to eliminate a whole bunch of routes in Tuella and Weber County and all over the place and replace them with these dumb things because they're too lazy to actually fight to have the money to improve service in those areas. And so instead, they're going to do some BS tech solution. So it's a cop-out, it's inequitable, and it's going to impact people who rely on public transportation more than anyone else. It's absurdity and it's wrong. Well put. Sorry, I am mad. <laughs> Great, so we end the episode now. I think that was a good note. No, we got more <laughs> stuff to talk about. All right. Well, I, I'm just going to say... The west side is also a relatively flat area of the valley. Yeah. So, bikes, please. Like, the, the solution to this issue is just so obvious, and its name is the bicycle. Or if you're into it and you can afford it, electric scooters or your or legs. Or your legs. Or Walking skateboards. is good for you. Like, <laughs> literally take any of these low-density, disadvantaged, you name it, areas that they're trying to put microtransit in and make it safe to bike. Right. And, and help people get their hands on bikes. Which and problem would, solved. would be cheaper than yeah. any of this. Yes. Right. And when and we're doing this, <laughs> we're paying, like, in economics, and I'm sure you've all been to high school at this point, there's this thing called opportunity cost, where when you pay for something, you lose the opportunity to pay for something else. So when we pay for nonsense microtransit, we lose the opportunity to improve bus service. We lose the opportunity to build a sidewalk. We lose the opportunity to build a bike lane because our funds are finite. And so we're either going to, and at this point in America, we're either going to spend it on dumb tech bro crap or on actually improving our cities and their transportation. So take your pick and take it now. Yeah, and of course I know which one we're gonna choose because it's America, but you know. Okay, but yeah, to, to close the episode, microtransit, not a good idea. If your local transit agency is planning to replace anything with this, you need to be up in their faces about it because this is just a really bad idea. I mean, not to mention the carbon impacts of it. Like, it's just not good. Don't let it happen if you can avoid it. And we've already fallen prey to it, and it's not going to be great for the people of Tuella, Brigham City, and Davis County. Oh, poor Brigham. Rest in peace all those people who currently have bus routes but will not for long. Yeah. Well, Brigham just has... Wait. Brigham City has local bus route. Uh, are they just going to get rid of the... Oh, anyway, let's the talk route, about this thing. The route, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, so, we like ratings. I don't care if they're bad. Just give them to us. Any publicity is good publicity. And engage in the comments. Yeah, do that, Please. actually. Thank yeah. you, it's Jackie. Fun, it's fun talking to people. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie Pie, for literally like replying to all of our videos. That was very <laughs> nice of you. Oh, and expect some exciting new non-podcast forum content in the near future. Yep, please, yes. please send on post notifications. That's actually the best thing you can do for us. That's yeah. Uh, for Patreon subscribers, we now have two, and that's pretty nice. So Mike Christensen, as always, hi Mike, we need to go ride bikes sometime. And also Ben Busaf, who is our newest Patreon follower. Ooh, very nice, subscriber. very nice. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thank you to our patrons. Like, follow, subscribe. Do the uh, also go on Twitter because I'm on there way too much and I'd love to rant about things to you. So if you get bored between us releasing episodes, go tweet at Connor. And we might try and make more TikToks. So. Oh yeah. Also, we are on TikTok. There is one thing in there, but do follow us. So like, follow, subscribe, all that crap. Thank you. Goodbye.